me and my co-founder Akash, right, had two different businesses in the plant-based space. While our visions were diff- uh, similar, we were competing and we were like, mm. uh, it doesn't make sense to compete, right? And we both were struggling in terms of resources. We were like bootstrapped new age founders with no prior experience in building a company before, mm. right? Young guys in like our mid-twenties. And we were struggling with resources, like hiring talent was a big sure. issue and all. So we decided instead of competing, right, why don't we join? We have one MIS guy only crunching numbers on attention. So they're talking right? ROAS, which is typically an acquisition side of the equation or how? No, do you look we look at ROAS? at ROAS even in attention. Okay. Yeah, so everything, so for us, everything has to be matched, right? Just take a guess of the number of WhatsApp groups I have with my co-founder. Just to give you a level, like, take a guess. <laughs> okay, now that you say it's probably runs into what, at least double digits? Triple digits. Wow. Yeah, like maybe 170. Hello and welcome to the State of Retention Marketing Podcast. This is your host, Ankur. I lead everything growth and marketing for WebEngage. And here's a conversation with a bunch of leaders from the product, marketing, and founder ecosystem to talk about the what, why, and how of retention marketing. We feel there's a lot of room for education in the subject of retention marketing because it's just so new. So we're actually partnering with Ectometrize Brand Equity to actually bring retention into a mainstream conversation. I hope you find these conversations insightful. Thank you for the listen. Hi, and welcome to one more episode of the State of Retention Marketing Podcast. I love the flavor of how D2C is shaping up and we have a very interesting story that's played out in what, three, four years now. I have Rishabh from Plix. Incidentally, so happens that it's just been less than a week since they've announced a partial or rather a majority exit to Marico Group. At least there's a lot about how the larger conglomerates are looking at building digital native capabilities to really, really boost their digital efforts. So thank you so much for doing this, Rishabh. Welcome to the show. Hey, Akur. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Awesome. So, you know, let's quickly uh, understand a bit of the journey before Plex, before we get to Plex. And, you know, what's been your story? What's been your background? I'll talk about a little bit of it. So, I am honestly an engineer, uh, finished his graduation, post-graduate from IIT Roorkee, worked two years in consulting. And I was looking to start up something in the nutrition space, right? In fact, evaluated a few companies here and there, looked at beverage. In fact, my first play was not even uh, to do like a nutrition company. We were looking at beverage. And, but what I realized with beverage, what scared me was distribution and the amount of capital to build it, right? Yeah. And that's what I was like, maybe this is not something would be correct, mm. right? And then what at the same time it happened is we had seen a lot of brands like uh, the muscle places of the world and GNC just come into India and do phenomenally well, right? And nutrition was doing well and sure. specifically doing well online, right? People mm. were believing and they were trusting to buy the product online, right? On Amazon, on what do you call it, the brand's website. So that's when I realized that while... I think the bodybuilding nutrition category is doing well. There's no one who's talking to me today, right? As an individual who wants to get healthy, but I don't want to build muscle. I just want mm. to stay fit. But that's when we started to look at and build, me and Akash wanted to build plant-based nutrition, right? And we decided to build a plan which is clean, natural, which is fun, poppy, not intimidating to a normal user and would want to consume it daily. Sure. And that's where we decided to build Plex. Right? And it's been a phenomenal journey since then, over a period of three years. We've been scaling year on year, right? And today, you know, Plix is a brand which is fun, poppy. And if you taste our effervescence tablets, you realize it's something you want to consume daily. Yeah. It's not like a medicine or a pill which you'll be like, you know, uh, am I un- unhealthy, am I unwell? It's something, it's like a fizzy drink, great replacement to sugary beverages. And that's what's been doing well, right? Uh, so that's been our entire journey. The thought process has been starting it. And over a period of three to four years with massive customer love. 
and strong digital presence, we've scaled a phenomenally good brand. I'm sure. With very less capital and built a business which is clocking more than 150 gross in terms of ARR right now. And that's what got Marico extremely excited. And that's why it took a big chunk of us. Very cool. So that was a fairly long journey and a fairly small nutshell. But I'm going to drill a lot deeper into every part of this, right? So just from the point where we chose uh, the whole category at Plix, there's a certain amount of data and there's a certain amount of anecdotal preferences that you will see in terms of choosing what you did, right? And this might have to do with your personal backgrounds as well as your personal skill sets on how this has to come together. So you mentioned about you and Akash both wanting to do this. How did this co-founding relationship come together? Was there a, let's say, list of 20,000 things you could do when you shortlisted some of this? Just tell us a little bit more zoomed in about how Plex was started. So, so what happened, in fact, is me and Akash had, me and my co-founder Akash, right, had two different businesses in the plant-based space. While our visions were diff- uh, similar, we were competing and we were like, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't make sense to compete, right? And we both were struggling in terms of resources. We were like bootstrapped new age founders with no prior experience in building a company before, mm-hmm. right? Young guys in like our mid-20s. And we were struggling with resources, like hiring talent was a big sure. issue and all. So we decided instead of competing, right, why don't we join mm. together? And me and Akash are very different personalities. He was focused more on finance and ops, uh, very meticulous with uh, what you call financial acumen. And I was a pure marketing guy, right? I'm, I'm the guy who's like uh, Jugado, Indian, will love to get into Indian psyche, understand what works, right? And then build a company, right? So we have two very different personalities and we realized... This is a great fit, right? Sure. And we should merge our businesses mm. and then scale it, right? And we decided to do that. And since then, it's been like from 0 to 1, we went to 1 to 100. Like 1 and 1 made 11 for us. Very cool. And we scaled the business cat- like phenomenally once me and Akash So, who had the Plex brand and did that survive? Or did you have both own your, your own brands and how did that play out? So, in fact, we both own different brands. But what uh, we realized was that uh, I think we had a brand called Ulina. Uh, which we had kept, by the way, when we merged mm-hmm. also. And we put it into the Plex ecosystem because really Plex was more associated with the plant-based sure. name, right? So, and I think our numbers are fairly similar only. That wasn't the mm-hmm. concern. It was more that we believe that Plex is a brand associated more with the consumer behavior, right? Because sure. Plex, the plant fix, is associated with plant-based. Mm-hmm. And then we had Olina. And over a period of time, since we merged the brands also, you would usually think your revenue would drop, right? Our revenue didn't drop. Combined sure. revenue is yet similar. And after we merged the brands, in fact... We were able to get the same number of revenues. Slowly, mm. slowly, we moved away and dissolved Ulena. Mm. And today, it's only Plex. Fair. So, in terms of uh, the whole product roadmap, now I understand you have 60-odd SKUs. But you started off with something and there was some degree of conscious choice in terms of uh, how the portfolio has to evolve. Tell us a little bit about the whole journey of choosing between the distribution channels and the product portfolio and the customer relationship. How does this interplay work? So, I'll first talk a lot more on the product journey, right? And that's absolutely critical. And mm-hmm. I would want a lot of people to understand, right? Today, like when you, so when me and Akash started the business, right? Our hero SKU was a plant-based protein, right? And that was what our hero SKU, and it was a fantastic business, good cash cost, strong repeats, right? But we weren't getting scale in that, right? And we very consciously decided to build for India, right? Mm-hmm. And we wanted to look at problems which people wanted to solve, right? And one big problem we realized was weight management today, right? Okay. The TAM is huge in terms of numbers, right? We very clearly realized there are a lot of people looking at it. But we also realized that they weren't great, tasty solutions to solve weight management, right? And what we came across is a couple of products like at Apple side of vinegar liquid today, right? And we looked at it in terms of product. It was selling a lot on Amazon. The numbers spoke about it, right? We saw uh, brands doing significantly well, selling thousands of units a day. But if you fu- fundamentally taste the product, right? The liquid is something you just cannot consume, right? And that is something we realize is a problem to solve mm-hmm. today. So what we did is we took apple cider vinegar liquid. So and we 
consume made into an effervescent tablet made into a super amazing yummy drink and that did phenomenally well for us and that's where the ethos got built is you realize this is pmf right mm. now you've taken a problem which uh, indian consumers have right which is weight loss and there's another problem is they cannot consume this liquid because it doesn't taste great let's make it tasty and let's give it to them in a much more convenient way right today mm. you can carry an effervescent tablet in your pocket sure. travel all across the world you want take it to office and conveniently have it it just all you need is water yeah and it tastes great it's want it's something you want to consume mm. and that was the pmf we realized and the product just scaled right it scaled phenomenally well with massive customer love and so we realized this is what we need to do right we need to mm. take traditional ingredients which don't taste good uh, make them fun interesting and something you want to consume and that's from that ethos we started launching a lot of products so we've taken ashwagandha and launched it in an effervescence format which mm. is a masala soda mm. we've got a caffeine effervescence today instead of you don't want to consume caffeine or black coffee it doesn't taste good it's a fizzy great cola which you can consume a lot of these ingredients done in weight management in beauty and that's been our product ethos and logic right we'll take traditional ingredients make them absolutely fun and tasty and give it to the consumer in a very economic point so if you even consume a plex acv right today it's like 20 rupees a serving mm. and that's how much you would pay for any carbonated beverage much. but now you're getting no sugar you're getting to control your appetite which is what you want right so that's the road map and with that we've been able to scale so that's talking more of on the product journey right and how we decided to evolve from maybe a plant based protein only company to talk about more bigger problems and solve customer needs also what we realized very soon is we are going after a lot more millennial consumers that's our tg right 20 to 45 people who are just started earning want to look and feel good right so these are the two things they would want to focus mm. on which mm. is weight management and we believe beauty right someone who's looking to lose weight is obviously looking to want to look good also yeah. right So we realized that these are the key personas you know talking right so mm. we started building products in this portfolio okay so we looked at weight management and beauty right so someone who's uh, a female who's buying a weight management acv would also want to buy maybe a glowy skin product right which helps you uh, improve your skin complexion or okay. someone who wants to look good would want to buy collagen from us mm. so we launched a collagen builder right so making sure and what we did is we stitched it into a journey right the moment someone buys an acv after 15 days what we would do is we would upsell them a product related to beauty because once she's had plex right for 10 15 days she's seeing the benefits of it she's loving the taste now she has confidence in the brand mm. so that's where you sell them another product right and that's what worked phenomenally well for us so would it to be safe to say that the acv ends up being a largest let's say recruiter or acquirer yes. category most people enter plex via acv and then they gravitate towards different things correct. in the ecosystem correct so that's the entire ethos right is so acv is a recruiter it's the product which has got the most amount of customer love and mm. attention and has the best pmf and works phenomenally well for us right so based on acv we're able to get the customer confidence and then what we do is we open up the entire 60 sks right based on their certain demographics sure. etc we would uh, based on communication we would then upsell them different products so i'll get to that science of upsell cross sell but before that i'll get to the zooming in on uh, making acv the market leader because it's not just a part there's a lot more that goes into it right and you're talking about content as a possible path to it let's zoom in into how acv became the market leader from plex that it is today because i'm sure it's not like it was easy i'm sure there was competition i'm sure there were challenges with respect to distribution scale up brand uh, establishment over scale so tell us a bit more about the journey so for us uh, building ac obviously wasn't um what do you call like a journey which was like 0 to 1 right or it was just we launched ac and it it catapulted right? there was a lot yeah. of work which went into the product um we also very really realizes it's very important for a brand to look at aov so if you look at a website right we don't sell single uh, selling sks right mm. uh, we'll not sell you a uh, pack of around 350 we focus on aov 
because we also want you to see the health benefits of it. So when mm. we first launched the apple cider vinegar, we very soon realized that the unit economics don't make sense at three fifty rupee price point. So what we did is we pushed it into a pack of four, right? Uh, where consumers can then actually see the benefits of it. But uh, doesn't it hurt the conversion rates? No, because you will want people to try the slightly smaller price point, and that would. So the logic here is we are a health and wellness brand, right? Now when someone uses the product for ten days, right? And if you give him a small packet, so what will happen is he's not going to be able to see the true benefits of it, mm. right? So while it might impact a little bit on conversion rates, it's a very strong call we took is for him to see benefits. He needs to build a habit of consuming the product, mm. which needs to be for a month or two months, right? Mm. So let him buy a pack of four. It's all right. But the customer who buys a pack of four will be able to see the true benefits of the product, and then will stay in a longer life cycle, right? I don't want people to buy the product and drop off, right? That's not what the customer I want to invest in. I want someone who's there in for the long run, right? But there's two parts to it. One is, of course, if he's bought it, does it necessarily translate into consumption because people feel that they're bought it, they might as well consume? And the other lens is uh, the repeat window after, uh, let's say, 15 days, 20 days, 30 days, the the whole uh, consumer psyche changes in terms of how they perceive the brand and if they're uh, still attached to the brand in some fashion or not. So how do you look at this interplay? So the two things we do is we usually want the customers to stay a longer journey, right? But also what we do is to ensure the Customers connected. We do a lot of content. Sure. So there are multiple touch points with the customer, right? So one, we break our entire content play into like transactional, uh, educational, and then it's revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So one is transactional is basically your basics where you uh, make Order sure the customer gets the product delivered, the entire journey which is there. Yeah. But what we also do is we start an informational play, right? Mm-hmm. Man- expectation setting. You need to consume this for sixty days. You need to consume this like sixty days. I think it's ninety days. I think, sure. right? So that he knows that he has to buy the second pack and third pack, right? Mm. Improve retention. How to consume the product? Then what we'll do is then once the educational is done, we'll then push him to revenue, where we'll also th- start upselling him different products, and we'll upsell them the product there in is the same thirty days. Split between, I mean, transactional of course is very event triggered or action triggered, Correct. but the educational versus revenue is Correct. there a you know conceptual split that you have in your mind on how to do this? Yeah. So we have a. What we do is we don't introduce revenue till the customers tried the product for seven days, consumed it, believed in it. Mm. Till then, we push a lot of content play, right? Which is to inform the customer of the brand, our deep expertise in it, how the product is so good, tasty. Uh, customer testimonials on how people have consumed the product and seen changes, mm. right? We also in that we'll also in the communication we'll put in that how customers have bought multiple other products of Plex and seen the impact, right? So he realizes the benefits of consuming multiple products of Plex, so, and then the revenue comes in. A lot of social proof, which should yes. go into CRM channels. Is that Correct. what we're saying? Yeah. Could you zoom into this a little bit? You know, so you said the same model of using other products that will go into this guy's communication. Correct. What would this look like? Is an email from Plex where I'm an ACV customer, but this is going to talk to me about the uh, Slim Shake. Is that what we're saying? I think UGC is one of the keys, right? A lot yeah. of D2C brands. It's very important to show the customer what other consumers have gone through. Right, and how they've been able to transform themselves, the results they've seen, what are the expectations they have. Mm. So that is a very key factor, and we leverage that a lot. Okay, so just from a perspective of the fact that the large recruiter is ACV as mm. a starting point of the product, and then the customer journey starts from there very similarly. So the pathway from that to the next purchase that will happen will that be very different, or will that be somewhat similar? How does you know the path move across different product lines? So every product. Has its own journey created, mm-hmm. uh, specific, personalized, based on the problem the consumer is looking to solve, and we define it. But are you able to articulate that because the guy is buying the same product? So what are the different problems he might be trying to solve? So depends, right? Mm-hmm. So take for example, 
a person we we articulate a journey based on product so sure. someone who's buying an ecv mm. he will have a specific journey he will have a specific communication someone who buys maybe a gasinia kombucha it's a different product of us sure. he will have my maybe a slightly tweak journey while i think the ethos mm. overall is the same there will be some tweaks in the sure. communication so based on the products he buys we mm. we built a very different journey for Fair. each and the ugcs will change because ugcs now need to talk about how gasinia kombucha that somebody else so that has been personalized and we have I think we have a decent, quite a scaled-up retention mm. team mm. who makes sure that these journeys are extremely personalized because that's sure. what we believe is the difference, right? If I send you a vanilla content saying, uh, "What do you call? Take for example, have fit and slim to lose weight." Like, I don't think it's going to move it. But if I tell you that uh, Ankur has consumed ACV for two months along with a healthy lifestyle and has been able to lose five kgs of weight, and he was in fact able to accelerate his weight loss by adding fit and slim to it, right? Now that's like you believe in it because sure. you put a name to it, you put a photo to it, and you've spoken about this journey. So that's what we is really works, and you that's what I mentioned. You have a fairly evolved retention team. At what point in your journey did you start this whole effort around user engagement, retention, cross sells? I think this was I think started quite late, right? And mm-hmm. I think we didn't start it till we were a decently scaled up brand. Uh, so decently scaled up. Any numbers that you can put to it? So I think we started working on retention maybe when we were around like a three crore to four crore ARR, oh, right? And I think that's very yeah, late. I think we lost a lot of opportunity and free ROAS and better retention metrics if we had done it a lot earlier. Okay, uh, so that's one mistake that you'd recommend people be very wary of. Start yeah. early. Start early because I think the learning curve in retention is huge, and you might think it's easy, right? But it's not plug and play, right? It mm. takes. So I think for us, it took maybe fifteen months, right, to really get it right and get mm. all the tech in play, the integrations in play. It's not easy, right? And I would really recommend if there is a solution, right, which just mm. plugs it in and can like like a switch on, switch off, right. But it's not that. There is like so much work to be done in terms of templates and this and that. Oh my god! And the, just the understanding of data and content together, right? Because you said personalization is very key. At the same time, you're using a lot of user-generated content. So for a marketer to be look at uh, these two sides of the equation, sometimes can also be hard. So help us understand the composition of this retention team that you've now put together. So uh, we have a CGO. Uh, who's Kritika? Who's sure. I think phenomenal at good at retention. Um, so she's built out uh, the retention at West Side, right? Which has great metrics. Uh, and then she she's used a lot of those journeys uh, to build a lot of the team out here mm-hmm. also. Um, so we have Kritika who spearheads growth for us, and she has around we have around four member team in that mm-hmm. who works on retention. Everyone has different capabilities. Sure. Uh, someone works with Clever Tap. Mm. Then there is WhatsApp automation where we work with Line Chat. Mm. Then also a lot of the part is sourcing the content, right? Sure. Which is so we have one liaison who only works with the content team. Okay. And for Plix, content is like the most important mm. thing, right? Mm. It's our right to win today. We have like a maybe a twenty to twenty-five member content production team, okay. right? Right, and then that's where all the magic happens. So we need one person who's always working, listening, getting the right content, and then. People like the the person who's responsible for Clever Tab will plug it in for Lime Chat will plug it in for email uh, they'll plug it in. So that's how it works. So we have at least a five member team in retention today. Very interesting. And the layers of the content is uh, very interesting from that lens. But then uh, in terms of the guys guys who are creating content, how much of a view do they have on where and how? Because the moment you talk about scaled personalization, you have so many different use cases which will need so many different pieces of content. And that lens of uh, what kind of personalization tokens are available? How does that go back to the content team? So the logic is we do catch-ups, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as a key metric, 
Uh, the team, what I think would work for Plex also is we track ROAS on a daily level, right? Okay. And we track what works, what doesn't work. Mm. So what we do is the moment something is doing better than a average, right? That information is passed on. So coordination is very critical, right? Uh, we, to be honest, the amount of communication we have, right? Like, just take a guess of the number of WhatsApp groups I have with my co-founder. Just to give you a level, like, take a guess. Okay, now that you say it's probably runs into what? At least double digits? Triple digits. Wow. Yeah, like maybe 170. Different WhatsApp <laughs> channels, so to yeah. speak. Just communicate, a, right? Yeah. So that's the amount of communication is the key, right? And we keep, so the moment there are like maybe 10 to 12 groups in retention we'll have. Right? And uh, so the moment something does well with the content team, there is one retention. There's one obviously silo retention. There's one with the founder. There's one, not too many, but, but then <laughs> sure. the one with the content team, they will share the data, right? That mm. this ad is done well. Right, we need more of this. Or this is done poorly, the CTR is poor. Right, So then let's not do this communication anymore. So that communication is very clear. Right, They explain and tell them what works or doesn't work. Until you don't get that right, right? Otherwise, and teams start working in silos, it's redundant. So they really need to know what's working. So super high touch, uh, very sort of high back touch, and forth yeah. in terms of uh, yes. knowing what's working, what's not working yeah. and putting that Correct. back into the... So the action. retention team tracks the ROAS, tracks mm -hmm. the metrics. We have one MIS guy only crunching numbers on retention. So they're right? ROAS, which is typically an acquisition side of the equation or how no, do you look we look at ROAS? ROAS even in retention. Okay. Yeah, so everything, so for us, everything has to be maths, right? I tell it, it comes down from one of our investors, no English, only maths. I'm not joking. <laughs> Fair enough. That's <laughs> so, fascinating. Yeah, so even anything you do, right, today has to have a level of ROAS to it, right? Even if you're taking acquiring a repeat customer, it doesn't make sense acquiring a repeater repeat customer at 1x ROAS, right? You're burning sure, money then. Of course. Even at 2x, you're breaking even. I'm like, my retention customers are my repeat customer, my cash cows. I need like a significant high ROAS from them. Mm. So anything less than that doesn't work. So they optimize for that. So that's the key, is to look at everything you do from a profitable unit economics perspective and optimize for a strong ROAS. Mm. Whatever it is, whether it's an email being sent out, whether it's your journeys, informational content, right? We, we'll test it out, right? People have sent informational content, people have didn't send informational content. How, what is JLTV compared to that, right? And whether it might be a six-month window, that learning is very critical. So that's how we start looking at it. You things. mentioned the whole ROAS as too central to your plane. That's the math yeah. and not English side of things, which would mean that from pretty much early days when you were talking about your uh, journey with the 350 rupee uh, product, which was mm. just the single bottle of ACV, yeah. uh, that itself would show something about the ROAS because average order values are low, so automatically that ROAS is poor. And uh, did this automatically become an obvious mathematical answer that the moment you make it a pack of four, your ROAS starts to get better because conversion rates will take probably a slight dip, but then the incremental value will make yeah, it better. Yeah, so eventually what we saw is while the conversion, there's an arbitrage, right? Sure. Right now, my suppose my conversion rate is 2% on a 350 rupee pack. If my conversion rate becomes 1% on 1100, but my mm -hmm. revenue is 4x, sure. I'm actually doing better. You're doing better. So the math made sense, right? And mm. That's what so some of the other people are often scared of taking these decisions in a slightly, I don't know, non-explainable way that if I yeah. do this, it'll hurt me. And given that most people are running this treadmill where they can't afford risks <laughs> or growth, how do you take this decision? Uh, I mean, would this be a part of traffic that you'll move to this or yeah. what this is like? So Plix, everything is tested, right? Mm. Um, we are, like I said, right, no English only maths. We are very open to ideas as mm. founders. We don't have any bias. And that's why we request our teams also. If you have an idea, you think it makes sense, why don't we run an EBA test, right? Mm. Or see if, if the numbers add up, we do it. If the numbers don't add up, we don't do it. It's very clear. Anything. And all these things, decisions have been taken, have been like tried and tested on a certain number of people. 
and with like keeping it in silo and the tests need to be correct right definition of the test i think what people don't understand is you just can't run a test uh, unless it's structured properly right it's documented yeah. that this has to be run a silo it has to be made sure that it's actually an apple to apple right, comparison and once you start getting the construct right which my team has now got very clearly and you start running these tests right you you automatically see incremental gains does it make sense does it not make sense if it mm. doesn't make sense you move back if it makes sense you implement it and you keep doing the small incremental gains and then you get a mammoth like pix you know, so what's very interesting is the only other conversation i've found where the level of uh, let's say maturity in terms of testing and this data led uh, decision making has been at play is with the multi million dollar gaming industry right yeah. because other than that uh, in the d2c ecosystem what i typically see people is people know how to let's say make products or people know how to sell products but one the understanding of both of these sides on making and selling is not necessarily there in all co-founding teams second the obsession with math and ab testing is also not super common to find yeah. but do you really think there's a way out can a founder get away without learning all of this no i think uh, data is the key in fact like data and if you don't understand maths right you cannot get yourself in fact like i ask everyone multiple question, multiple multiplication questions that takes for an interview if they don't are able to multiply 17 into 7 in 2 seconds i will not have that <laughs> okay right so it's it's the core i think uh, i think everything is just got to do with maths and numbers right yeah it has to be drilled down to that so and if you can get that right right then i think it's you know in yeah. the, so i could see this pretty much as a formula in some sense because this is what's putting plex now in what 1% of the overall startup ecosystem because most people don't survive so survival yeah. probably struggle to get a meaningful exit in a larger platform to kind of ramp up the play is super super rare in the ecosystem despite whatever noise we hear in dc so this is probably in some sense a mantra that if, as a founder you have to be data obsessed and be very clear about uh, this ab test approach as well as the incremental learning approach Correct. to making decisions that i think is the key i fundamentally believe if you want to succeed you need to know your numbers till you don't know your numbers right and whatever it can be any it doesn't need to be only retention i think in anything even in customer service right mm. what are your number of touch points whatever like how many queries are you getting it could be anything right but till you don't drill down to numbers right it's very difficult to understand what's going wrong sure and what's going right for you mm. till you don't know that you will not be able to succeed at least because in d2c businesses right it's all about scale right you built a website which can cater to 1.4 billion people right now you're operating with such a big scale and you need to optimize for that so if you don't have your numbers correct and you just play on intuition i think you will make a mistake but if you're looking at things from a very, very binary 0 to 1 perspective it's very clear mm-hmm. as long as and for that i think you need to have a lot of tech integrations done you need to maybe invest a little bit here but in hindsight it gives you tremendous upside in some sense you made these choices upfront because of your conviction to begin with on some of these components right because we've seen a lot of dtc brands which would have raised a seed round and they'd be running a 1x or 2x roas business for almost a year and then they're under a lot of pressure to grow which is not easy if you have that kind of uh, unit economics and then obviously they hit a cliff where there's no further funding if you don't show Correct. growth and they end up having a tough time what's your general sense on the best capital deployment in the 0 to 1 stage because you didn't you were very capital efficient with your entire journey yeah, i think your plex right we are so i am a marwadi and i'm pure banya mentality right i am like if i'm putting in 10 rupees i need to get 25 rupees okay if i do not get it i will not do it very clear right no matter who does it no matter what it is it's very clear it has mm. to be that right so was it the same way on day 0 because people will say that once a brand awareness comes no, something it's all i think that. people will just say that yeah i don't believe in it maybe a 150 crore business good. right uh, but we've not invested in a celebrity yet right sure and we very categorically understood that 
you know, like brand awareness is fine, but it, it's needed at a much more larger scale mm-hmm. when you're in maybe 20,000 stores, right? And maybe at that point of time, it's fine. But today, we need to survive. We need to get a unit economics right, right? And that's what we focus on. So while I know there are, there is a, there are like two sides of the coin, there are people who say invest in brand, brand building. I cannot wait four years. I will not survive four years, right? You usually see benefits of a brand ambassador after three years. Sure. Now, I don't have runway for three years if mm-hmm. I start investing in a brand ambassador today, right? And then what you need to do is you need to do media spends without tracking ROAS. I'm like, for me, that doesn't make sense. Right? For mm-hmm. me, it's all mm-hmm. maths, right? Spend 10 rupees, you have to get 25. So we only invested in things where we were clearly able to see uh, attribution of ROAS. Mm-hmm. If that did not happen, I was very clear, we will not do it. What we do is we do small pilots. Sure. You want me to invest in influencers? I'll be like, fine, I'll give you 1 lakh rupees. You show me trackable 2 lakh rupees. If you cannot track it, you say, it's coming from somewhere, but it's not trackable. I'm like, sorry, I don't want to do it. Very clear. And everyone is drilled down to those concepts, right? That you make sure you can track that revenue. Figure mm-hmm. a way. I'm okay to spend an X amount of money, right? To tra- build a system to track it. Sure. In terms of team, in terms of whatever is needed, that's fine. But mm. you should be able to show me clearly, conclusively that that 1 lakh is giving me 2.5 lakhs. If you cannot show it to me, that's a no-go. So in terms of the whole culture, the way this seems to have built out, pretty much from the day zero itself, if you're so number-driven, this would translate into everybody who's coming in or at least sticking around to either acknowledge and be a part of this whole approach or they might not last. I will not. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's what it is, right? But what we see is, I think before, right, I think we didn't know really that's our ethos. Mm. But now when we hire, right, we consciously... Uh, make sure that the person who's joining knows this ecosystem, right? That this is what his expectations are. This is what he has to deliver, right? He has to be number driven. We will explain him this. And then he can take a conscious call. Sure. I think obviously a of lot course. prior, this was not the case. Hmm. But I think once we realize that this is our mojo, this is what we want to do, right? I think we do drill it down all our employees that they should know this. It's very critical. And now this happening in a very competitive category. We have insane competition and a certain level of pressure to do discounting. How does that changed things, if at all? No, we don't. I think at Plix, we don't believe in discounting. Okay. Uh, honestly, on a, if you look at us, from like the, while IMRPs might show some discounts, mm. I don't think we believe in discounting. We stick to it, right? So what most brands do, right, is when they're not able to get revenue, what they decide to do is they, they, they go to discounting to, to get revenue, right? Sure. And they don't understand is, what I believe at least, again, is that they are getting themselves into a death knell, right? Because the moment you start discounting, right, the customer will always expect it, sure. right? When you do 10% discount, you'll be able to scale up 10%. Then you'll realize that now 10% discount is not moving the needle. Then you'll do a 20% discount. Then for two months again, you'll scale up the revenue by 10%. Then you'll again realize that, boss, now it's not moving. So solving revenue goals with discounting is not the solution. In mm. fact, you have to brainstorm, right? And come up with something else which is sustainable. Sure. So at Plix, we are very clear. We will not discount. In fact, we've seen it multiple times, right? This is way back prior. When I would run a B1, G1, I would get 10x growth sure. for the first five days of the sale, right? And then none of my repeat customers would buy because they've all bought. It's not that. And also what we realize is when you discount, right? And you run these buy one, get ones. A lot of your repeat customers are buying, yeah. right? Which would have anyways bought. So you're diluting the brand down, right? And you're in fact ruining your revenue over a long run if you look at it. So at Plix, we're very clear. We don't run a lot of buy one, get ones, etc. anymore. We do not like to discount the brand. To solve revenue, there are different problems you look at. Like we get retention better, cross-sell, upsell, right? 
improve our content, organic. That's how you do solve problems, not build content. You know, I'm going to do a lot more zooming into this whole side because you were a venture-funded company who okay. had a certain level of time-bound milestone growth goals to pretty much achieve numbers at the end of every month, at the end of every quarter, every every whatever time frame you talk about, right? And to operate with a very tight philosophy around what revenue hacks are. You know, discounting is essentially a hack. It's a quick boost in short term, perhaps harming the long term. You mentioned a few things about what are the other uh, things you can do, but is any of them found to be as effective in the short term? Or do you say as a conscious way that I don't care short term? If it means bad long term, I won't do it. So I'll tell you, right? Uh, you think about it, but I think all these things do move needles in the short term. So it plicks mm -hmm. also, right? Like you said, right? Being venture funded, there are monthly numbers to be hit, of course. <laughs> and they can be hit. And we did, right? In fact, like when we raised capital, um, we didn't grow month on month. We okay. flatlined, right? Okay. We for some time. And we problem solved. But was that a conscious choice to say that now we have the runway, let's take it a little easy, let's solve all of these problems and grow more sensibly? No, so, mostly I don't, I, like it wasn't, a, like in hindsight you can build a story sure, and say, but course. it's not the case. Hmm. We raised capital and we weren't able to grow for some months, sure. for whatever reason, but we problem solved. Like we okay. figured out what's going to move the needle, right? Hmm. Uh, and we double clicked on it and we figured out that maybe content is going to move the needle for us, right? Sure. And that's what we worked on. Getting a but content in some sense, you didn't get desperate and you didn't start doing hacks which are otherwise potentially yeah, That luckily I think we didn't do. Hmm. Uh, because I think before we raised capital, I had been through the journey. Okay. Where, so we were bootstrap for quite some time. Sure. Right? And I had seen the B1G1s of the hmm. world hmm. do well and it doesn't sustain. So we consciously did not want to do it after a point of time. So that's something I think luckily we stood to. We didn't do a lot of that. Uh, but yeah, we problem solved is what helped us. And you might think that we're like, uh, these are like one year windows. No, I don't think so. I think even getting content right, right, will change the needle within one month. And we saw it. And is this also what's going to give you a bit of competitive advantage? Because ROAS will likely be a function of those bids on those clicks and which everyone else is also it's making. That's what. How does that work? So exactly, right. For us, it was purely content. Hmm. Getting the right content moved me meant better CTRs, better CACs, better ROAS, right? And when you start looking at these numbers daily, right? You know what's working, what's not working. And if as a founder, I believe it, I drill it down to my team. My team looks at also start looking at these numbers. And that's what worked for us. So are you saying that there's 40 people who can make the ACD, but they can't make the content engine, which is uh, so efficient as well as great with learning? That's what it is, right? So for us, it's that. It's like we've, it's it's got to do it. It's so, like I said, right? Uh, prior is you can make the product, but the game is in the distribution. Distribution today for a digital company is content, sure. right? And that's what people don't get right. And I think a lot of successful companies you have got amazing content play, right? Mm. And that's what you hack it. Today, or I don't think the the product is the moat, right? Today, a lot. It's got to be how you acquire customers. Your customers are your moat, right? Yeah. How we acquire the customers has been what is game-changing for us. Mm. And when you say acquiring customers, this is to do with whatever you're doing on performance marketing on one side, which is competitive bidding. But what's the other allocation of spends? You mentioned about influencers. Is there a large channel there? And what else are you doing to efficiently acquire customers? Uh, so we spend, yes, a lot on performance, some amount on influencers, not much at this point sure. of time. And then a lot comes from a content from social. Right? Organic? Yeah. So if you look at our views, right, every video we do does maybe 50,000 to 100,000 views, right? Sure. And that gives a lot of organic visibility mm. to the brand clicks. And every month we have maybe four to five videos which go viral. Sure. Right? Wow. Uh, to do this relatively and consistently is quite a big yeah, yeah, so getting it consistently, right? And that's what works, right? So then you start getting viral visibility, they, they've looked at the brand, then a retargeting funnel works. 
it works fantastically well right and so what was this um, you know content eureka moment in some sense you said that when you're doing this uh, after your fundraise the first quarter went slow for you so you kind of problem solved and got to content as the emote in the answer what happened from then to kind of build this whole content muscle so that's what i before i think at plix we had a very small content team like maybe 3 4 people today we are 25 people sure. right so that's the kpi for them right is mm. to get the right content what so you understand what works right and everything is documented right so but there's a story and there's a data right great storytelling might not necessarily always come filtered from data because you're saying there is a bunch of videos that keep going viral hmm. is that something you know that this is going to go viral because i have a formula to create viral content or is this because you know you do a bunch of things some of them will get taken off and how that will play out yeah so honestly no one knows which video is going to go viral i don't think that is that's <laughs> If you could solve that, then I don't think so. Then you'd be in the major big leagues. I would imagine. But you're still able to do this no. consistently. But what we do know is, you know? if I do hundred of these things right, right, yeah. which I know will work well, from those hundred, at least five will go well. That's something we know will do, right? So you so created the, the engine which you create an engine, produces correct, content, yeah, which produces content, right? And we know that these hundred things should have these ten things, hmm. right? Which we know works, right? Uh, they could be relatable content or whatever. buckets we know for us work we know so we keep doing these 100 things the right way in that structured way and we know that one of them will fire sure we will not know what but we are definite that at least four five will fire and we see it mm. happening consistently month if you go on plexus channel you will see within a month there are four five videos which are going to scale up yeah. you know give us a little bit of the construct of this content team what kind of people what kind of skills what kind of background i'm a phenomenal person who's punam who's built out the entire content team right she is the person who's uh, what do you call built it out and this is also again like this is not a dna which we knew mm. like as a founder first i would go on shoots and i know what happens same with mm. punam right mm. she shot herself today so she knows what works or doesn't work and when you get your hands dirty right is when you are able to understand what works or doesn't work mm. and then she's hired people to do it for her right so i think that's been one thing get your hands dirty understand what works right documented make sure everything in life is documented so data driven storytellers this is like the panache for all marketers or <laughs> founders to find right and that seems to yeah. be and the course trend yeah then that is but also you should know what to do right and when your leadership team has actually done what right mm. they will know so when someone some employee will give you fap right you will like boss but you know you know just from that same lens uh, how many things can you kind of put your finger into because on one side you have the product roadmap to deal with you have probably suppliers and inventory and this and that to deal with and on the other side you have Investors deal with. On the other side, you have retention problems to solve. So, just from your radar, uh, you seem to have a fair bit of finger into everything. How does this work? So, at the time as a founder, right? When both, I think me and Akash started, we both were bootstrapped sure. and we did everything from scratch. Hmm. Right? So that's a DNA that's it's there and right? the malwardiness of making nah, sure it's, you're. It's every so I'll tell you right. When I used to even work right with my food scientist, I'm creating the product. Hmm. I spent six months with him to launch it, and when I spent six months with him, right, uh, the very nice story. In fact, like. He's an old guy who's 80, right? 75, I think, and he would love gossiping. So, some batata tam ekwar. So, though I was not from the food technology background, hmm. in six months I at least learned the hang of it, right? And that helps. Sure. And that helps me in future. At least when someone hmm. will faff and tell me this is not possible, I'll be like, no, I know the basics, right? So, and, and we did that with everything. Like I used to go on shoots myself, right? With my uh, what do you call? Producer. Um, Uh, what do you call video director etc mm. who shoot right with the model mm. right i have reached out to influencers myself to onboard them i was like a one man army i have done customer service myself because i'm bootstrap right so before we raise capital i used to put my finger into everything and do it because i want to be capital efficient etc right and that habit made me sure that i know at least the ground basic realities of everything 
and then when you hire right you hire and you inculcate that into them mm-hmm. and then they build it out so while today i don't have to get my hands dirty i've got them before dirty mm-hmm. so i understand what it is and then i expect my team members or my core team right to make sure that it's done so like ritikal will also do the same thing right uh, we made sure that what you call she is also drilling it down the same way poonam has done the same thing so that's how we i time manage now honestly i don't need to get into absolutely zero like i will not go on shoots but in fact like i'll tell you that founders uh we shot founder videos which do fin- like well for us mm-hmm. right and i would spend time for hours doing that so even today if someone anything for cac right where i need to do that's okay Sure, it's data driven. It's it's great use of time in some sense, and you know, in some sense, the level of micromanagement versus keeping a certain level of confidence in the teams they're able to deliver. Is there something about your onboarding process that makes sure that okay, this is the point at which I can start to leave them alone? Yeah. So I'll tell you, I think micromanagement is something which I have learned over the journey to let go. Right. You sounded like somebody who's pretty obsessed. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So I have learned over the journey. I think I start doing that when I start getting confidence hmm. that my core team members can take it up, right? Then I will not, and I'll fully step back. So this is very uh, promoter lala kind of mindset across most companies that we see that the, the person will have a very strong view and strong say on everything and might not necessarily encourage dissent. But this is something you said that you learn to let go. Correct. And it's, it's a journey I have been through. In fact, very strongly, I'll tell you, it's a journey as a as a founder I've been that you cannot do everything. Absolutely correct, right? You have only twelve hours a day. Right, as a founder, honestly, I think I work maybe eighteen, twenty hours a day. But you only have a certain amount of time, right? There sure. has to be work-life balance. You'll burn out, and trust me, I think me and my co-founder both have felt the burnout, right? Would so, you do it any differently? Sorry, you were completing something. Yeah. So, but I think I've learned over a period of mm-hmm. time, and a lot of feedback from my team and from my investor community also, who but were there. You need to learn to let go, right? You need to manage your time efficiently, and you need to give space for the people to grow. And I've learned it. Over a period of time, and I think it really helps. What point of your journey? And were you too late, or I mean, in some sense, would you do it differently if you were to now act with more knowledge? In some sense, would you say that you should let go at this milestone point versus this? Mm. So I would say two things, right? I think I was yet a little bit late. A little bit, a little not bit, much. but yeah. But I think it is very important for 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 a founder, right? Believe someone who's starting up, right, to get his hands dirty, mm. right? Micromanage at least in the start till you have a team which is capable of building. Right then, maybe let go. Once you have us, so I'll tell you. For, for me, it was always that we we were able to get a strong leadership team only after we raised capital. Right. Sure. So till then, I would yet tell my team is uh, would tell people is micromanage because it's important because till you don't have the strong team to drill it down, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. And till then, and what will happen is if you start mic- micromanaging or at least getting deep into things, right, you will understand what works for you. Yeah. And that's what we did. Right. For us. I've learned everything. Like I have literally learned performance marketing on my own, mm-hmm. right? A/B testing, what doesn't work, what doesn't work, right? Or whether it is retention marketing, or whether it is creating content, or product development. And once the basics are clear, right, then you can get people to execute. So I think you should get your basics correct. Mm-hmm. And once you have a strong, then let go. In some sense, if you become too hands off too soon, then you probably miss out on a lot yes, of learnings. Yes, correct. That will translate into hiring mistakes as well. Correct. Because you depend on that guy for some stuff, and you kind of trust him blindly. Ah, yeah. yeah. That turns out to be a mistake. Then Correct. you are in a bad shape. Absolutely. I think that's very critical. And if you're hiring for, so I'll tell you, right? Like a retail story, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. So we, so we're looking to hire maybe someone for a leadership position right now, right? But I'd not hired someone very senior at this point of time because I'm like, I don't know who's the guy I want. And I have myself gone and opened stores, like mm-hmm. spent twelve hours in the heat and opened forty stores. And I've understood what the customer wants, what are the requirements, 
we've ab tested in bombay to understand and now i know what is the right guy for the job sure. maybe now we'll hire him right hmm. so it's very important for you to understand uh, your profile correctly what is your company's requirements because everything is different and you need to have some sort of you don't get faffed upon this is what i strongly believe so from a prioritization lens across the 20 things that you had to deal with uh, when you started hiring and expanding your leadership setup what did that look like from a sequencing sense this has to happen first quarter this can wait for a year what was that lens so i think we wanted to solve for a couple of things um when we started looking to hire from leadership right i think uh, for i used to look at only marketing so i'll talk a little bit mm. more on that right what i wanted was someone who's who has a fair idea of building retention over a long scale right okay and for brand building right eventually and this i is a day zero problem yeah this is a day zero question no when we raise capital sure yeah right we like i wanted someone who understands and who's maybe done brand building before mm-hmm. right and at some level retention is there are two three things which i wanted to do and someone who's done at scale so i was looking mm-hmm. to solve long term sure. at least when i was hiring the person right so i wanted someone who spent maybe crores and crores of capital so that that learning well, i have to not yeah yeah of course <laughs> uh, so i wanted to, so that's what i looked at mm-hmm. when i was hiring and that's how we hired kritika right because uh, she's worked at z right? she spent a lot of amount of capital in uh creating awareness brand awareness while i've not done that yet sure. i eventually know that's the problem i want to solve hmm. right and looking at things and even in terms of uh being able to structure things is something i wanted someone who's well structured because i'm not <laughs> i'm not structured at all sure. right? so i think she's very well structured these are a couple of things i had insight when i was looking hmm. to hire someone like a cgo hmm. and uh, i wanted someone again to do content well hmm. so i think and punam fit in fantastically well okay. at that point of time so these are two problems i was honestly looking to solve in terms hmm. of from a marketing standpoint so the whole long term brand play some amount of retention attention yeah. the ability to manage yeah. large scales of money and mm-hmm. to do an efficient job with it mm-hmm. and on the other side the whole content strength so, so to speak in terms of both data driven storytelling as well as a certain level of quality and process orientation on content side of things so just from a lens of uh, what is on your let's say dashboard or what are the kpis that you track on a fairly frequent basis you mentioned rovas is something that you track pretty much at every new initiative level Correct. that has to make sense what are the other kpis do you care a lot about let's say first to second order repeat rate is there a geographic lens to it you know what are the other lenses that you apply on a almost daily basis i think so it clicks right i think if you look realize data is the key right sure so the overarching goal is roas or revenue right mm-hmm. which is both are integrated you can't have revenue with horrible roas so they yes. have to go hand in hand right which is key but yes we we track all the metrics which you spoke about right mm-hmm. um ltv to cac or uh, cm level to cac uh we also look at a product level right which product is giving me what retention right mm. uh what is the cm to cac of it right does it make sense to do it or not right okay. uh so cm by cac also is something we track right and it's very clear to my team right mm. you have to break even on the first order whether the ltv is even 5x you need to figure a way to eventually break even on the first order and then let's make money on the second third fourth order right break even on the first order for a d2c company yeah we do that wow that's a tall ask but seems to be interesting it's possible because... i think if you give someone the goal right mm. you give it if i tell my team and this is i've seen scenarios right so uh, just to give you some context whatsapp has increases pricing right sure. So prior to WhatsApp increasing its pricing, the goal given to the team was six x. Sure. I suppose just to put yeah. a hypothetical number, but just yeah. let's say it's six x. Uh, they hit it. Okay. Now WhatsApp increases pricing. My team is like, now we cannot do it. It's fifty percent higher. I need a three x. I'm like nothing doing. Yeah. Right. You need to hit it six x. You mm. figure a way to do it. Mm. And they figured finally. Right. It may take them two months. Right. But they figured a way. Right. So mm. the goal, once you make it clear, right, you might have to change things around. Like 
they what they did they figure out how to opt out customers who are not buying yeah. right maybe optimize somewhere right and we finally figured a way out so i think the overarching role always has to be roas to some level and if you push it down people will finally figure a way to get there same for cm by cac right it took time they'll keep optimizing they'll reduce spends increase spends they'll not spend too much on a campaign so that's cm by cac because yeah. it's obviously that right, the more you spend the more the cac increases right so then you optimize the campaign at cm by cac and mm-hmm. whatever you're mm-hmm. getting but you break even on the first order that has to be drilled down and we've been able to do that for most of products i'll give them maybe two months at least to optimize or three months mm-hmm. but that has to come in and we do look at all the metrics lt by cac we look at which cities do well for us focus the, on that um so those things are looked at but some you're saying is if you're obsessively deciding a priori without any kind of let's say bias towards it to say that this is how my benchmarks have to look whatever you do get it right then you're sort of refusing any kind of excuses or possible reasons why this won't work correct but obviously i am also i understand and 3 months later right we'd have tried 50 things and if it doesn't happen i'll be like okay fine it's not possible there have been things sure. where we've given uh, goals to our teams right and they've not achieved it mm. and if for one month they don't arrive also personally step in we'll try i will give problem my solved. feedback problem solved right we do like what you call plan versus actuals mm. something like that is something we do keep doing right and we'll see and eventually 4 months later we'll realize that this is just not possible then we'll scrap it it's not we'll burn money at that so i'll tell them now let's leave it right mm. if this is not working let's forget it let's scrap this this is not something you want to do but it will not let it keep burning money we'll shut it down very conceptually this is about making sure you're at peace with experiments which don't translate into great outcomes yeah. regardless they'll give you learnings and you can apply them elsewhere but you will not let's say let something which is not working continue because it's still delivering something hmm. I mean, the whole incrementality of some of these things even if it's a terrible rovas sometimes people just want to let that continue because they don't have a way to replace that revenue yeah no that's something we are very clean right it doesn't make sense let's just cut it off right it's no point burning money for mm. us i think unit economics i think a lot of founders i would strongly recommend is believe in unit economics mm. right and give your team the goals to achieve make it very clear they will figure a way to do it and if it doesn't let it go because in the long run right you can't keep burning money long run most people don't survive right but you know on the same subject you look at a blended roas which is a combination of whatever roas you're getting from an email from whatever other channels you deploy and then you look at a channel level roas Correct. right when you talk about setting up a metric at the company level it will have its own manifestation on what kind of percentage of revenue is coming from each different sources right Correct. the math says the weighted average will obviously get driven by the largest contributor so from your lens are you saying that this whole unit economics has to work at every channel every campaign level versus at the blended level and how do you drive that we, balance we have a way to understand right mm-hmm. so we we track uh, roas on a channel level like even on amazon or flipkart mm-hmm. but we also know what works right and we will very clearly understand that d2c roas will be less because a lot of my trickle down to amazon or flipkart sure. so those benchmarks are made very clearly that mm. the expectation is not going to be that every channel has to do 4x right okay it will it will we know understand the channels pros and cons right and very clearly define a roas for it sure. because we know the overarching thing is while this channel might show 1x it's actually giving 3x and that has been proved by reducing maybe the spends and then the overall revenue drops down right okay. again very clearly right i will do establish this correlation yes. very clearly because yes. until it's not established and there is no logic of this thing it has to be established right and we've been able to establish it we'll mm. spend time on this test and then we create benchmarks for every channel email sms whatsapp everything is done right even on a performance marketing spend on instagram facebook amazon we know what works 
and does it add up to the grand scheme of things if we reduce the spends is it actually adding value if it's mm. not then we will not mm. if we increase it so we and benchmarks are very clearly created and then we work on those benchmarks sure so very clearly very number of sets kind of affair pretty much across the board and uh, the benchmarking is let's say intelligent but once it's done it's sort of a hard line that yeah. people have to comply by yeah. well, once it's been proven that's very clear when we'll push the team to it and obviously we are aligned with the fact that if we cannot there are reasons we ab test right and figure out and then okay it cannot be done we will drop it or forget about it hmm. or then maybe reduce it if it's absolutely necessary but that's something we do Awesome. So, well, the reason I bring up all of these conversations around building an enduring business very, very tightly knit with number-driven approaches is because we've seen retention uh, to be pretty much critical in an existential fashion for D2C companies. And if you don't understand this timely enough and you invest in the wrong things, probably burn your money in the wrong places, it is almost fatal. I mean, it's, it's in fact fatal for a large number of companies there, right? So, help us understand, uh, Rishabh, a little bit about how the whole venture capital uh, changed your life or if it did not because you started off as a bootstrapper who was also a marwadi in you know in the mindset so you wanted to be very tightly controlling a lot of aspects of how money is getting spent and how it's bringing value back and uh, couple that with the obsession slash need to grow at a certain aggressive pace right how does the whole sensibly staying sensible thing work here so what is, i'll just talk on the importance of retention right first i think uh, we you need to understand that retention is key right because while there is not an infinite pool of customers fitting your pmf your cohort right and once you've acquired them it is very important to make sure that they stay on to the brand right mm. they keep buying because the moment a customer is acquired you you spend enough money of cac on like acquiring them right most probably you've already made money on them on the first order and most brands would have most probably burnt money also on it right uh, so it's very important that you're able to then over the next one year or six months make sure you milk the customer enough to get like a positive unit economics sure and that is where your brand will become sustainable and you'll mm. be able to then spend a lot more right the moment take for example what i think is why retention is the key right take for example you spend you're spending 500 rupees on cac right and you're break even at 500 right um on on the first order right mm. then you cannot scale your business more and you will not be able to increase the marketing budget more sure because the moment you increase the market your cac will increase but now take for example your retention is amazing right and he's buying twice more so his mm. ltv is maybe like uh what do you call 1500 or do you right 500 is yeah. the cost of the yeah. product so it's 1500 and assuming you have 50% gross margin even cut together you are making 750 bucks on it on that customer so now you have 250 rupees more to spend on that guy right yeah. so 250 rupees more per customer you can spend that's then that's the you know, cac you can increase your this thing by right from 570 that's the efficient reaction that's the yeah and then <laughs> your budgets can go from 50 lakhs to 1 crore because now this thing and then if you optimize more and you get him to spend maybe 2000 then you can go from 75 lakhs of budget to maybe 1.5 crores and the moment you increase the marketing spends right your visibility will increase the moment your visibility increases your brand will grow and that's how you'll be able to scale sustainably so that's where i believe retention is the key right the moment you are able to get that right you are able you'll be able to increase more on your cac so how does the attention span uh, now split between retention led growth which is a more sustainable way to grow versus aggressive acquisition fueled growth which is typically the venture capital bad way to grow how do you see that interplay so i think both things are required uh for asset plics right in fact even there's something while you would hear a lot of vcs say grow at any cost i think though that that conversation is now changing to profitability mm-hmm. while it wasn't that 3 years later our vcs were very clear that uh, we need positive unit economics sure we do not want to be growing a business where you're spending more to acquire you're burning money on a customer right mm-hmm. so fundamentally that's something even they were aligned on and as a founder me and akash since we were bootstrap we were aligned on so we were very clear 
that we will only grow as much as the business can sustain it sure. and we will not make assumptions mm. on what my ltv will be right jo ltv hai and that will be the cac max of it right in fact we in fact as a business has grown we evolve to make sure that we break even at least on the first order right mm. so those things are the key fundamentals to build a business it is very important to make sure that acquisition is only driven to a matter of fact we are not burning capital on that customer and ltv is not assumed right you wait to get the real ltv of the customer maybe if it's 6 months or 1 year and then decide it and then after that retention is key today for place right the retention numbers are very good mm. right they're strong in fact also i think it helps that the journey is nutraceuticals where someone will want to consistently have keep having the product right sure. uh, so that definitely helps but i think that's one of the reasons right when you have already a chunk of customers every month who bought back the the stress on ac- acquisition is lot lesser right and when the stress on acquisition loss they make much more informed choices right because they were not the stress to perform because maybe 40 50% of the revenue is already being taken care of yeah so that really helps a lot you know you did also mention a little bit on the offline side uh, on the whole tam being finite in india and how not every category will justify the kind of scale venture capital typically expects yeah given that a lot of founders find uh, getting a great valuation and a great check to be a moment worth celebrating How do you look at venture capital and its play in the D2C ecosystem? So this is something right. Uh, I, me and my co-founder both very strongly believe. Akash and me is that we believe at some level, right? Uh, raising capital has been glorified, right? And it's really been glorified, and people think it's a great accomplishment. But what I sometimes don't founders don't realize is when they raise capital, right? They are answerable at some level to the people who they've raised from, right? And if you raise at obnoxious valuations. where the tam is not there right you're falling into a death knell i'll just give you some examples right mm. take for example today if you raise business your valuation at maybe around at around 1000 crores right and you will be like wow my business is valued at 1000 crores right you're not getting an exit at that point of time so it's redundant right. first of all right but what you really don't understand is the implication of the 1000 crores means that the vc who's entered today he's going to want to exit at 4000 crores now you have to build a 4000 crore business does the business stand the test of time to build a 4000 crore business and 4000 crore business means if you just take a 4x basic revenue multiple also means you have to build a 1000 crore arr business means you have to build a brand which is going to 100 crores a month 3 crores a day which is not easy to build yeah. right and you can count on your fingers the number of d2c brands doing 1000 crore revenue i don't think there are more than 3 4 so so when you start raising an obnoxious valuation what you don't realize is is you are also reducing your chances of getting a major liquidity right mm. and then you will be fueled to grow because you promised the venture capitalist the massive time and he's believed in you he's funded you and then he's going to push you for those numbers so i would say is it's better to raise at lesser valuations or not raise money if needed mm. be very conscious in the decision and if you do take the call to raise capital right and you do take that strong call that i need the money to grow then make sure that you are seeing a very clear path to hit there right and that's possible so i would rather than say is instead of raising at 1000 crores raise at 700 crores right and maybe then you need to do a 2000 crore business you need to do only a 500 crore revenue mm. which is possible most probably and sustainable and logical dilute little more it's fine it's okay to dilute don't look at the valuation game but look at what's your exit going to be and once you understand that right i think you will be able to take more sustainable calls you mentioned exit and you've just had a fairly interesting recent event which can be defined as a dream situation for a lot of founders which are in early days of the journey uh how much it was by design in some sense that you know that okay these are white spaces there are the conglomerates who will have a gap in their portfolio in this particular segment 
and I, I had a chat with Parfora just you know a few days ago. So you know very clear that Oracle Care does not have many players. These guys will want to do something at some point, so we'll probably right place. In your case, as far as plant-based nutraceuticals is concerned, is this the lens that you had in mind when you pitched to your first five mil investors? Absolutely not. Like when I started the business, like me and Akash, um, we were relatively new, mm. new founders. I don't think I had the lens of four years down what I have today. Um, very naive uh, guys who just wanted to build a business. I'll tell you right. I say this, I think I've said it before also. My goal was to do one order a day. Mm. And I was like, at least salary is not so much. That was the fundamental. And you were prepared to run this for a lot longer if you had to from that lens. Because you're building a sustainable yes. business. Your ROAS is healthy. Yeah. Your retention is good. In, so, fact, in fact, to be honest, right? Till I even started doing the business we were doing, I never thought of VC money, raising venture capital, Lord exit. All those things I never thought about. I just mm. wanted to build a business. Logically, there was a white space in the market. I think, and then I got introduced. Uh, I I spoke on a presentation. I think on uh, I think founders of Mumbai Angels or someone, sure. where people showed a lot of interest. And I was like, wow, man, people are valuing me so much. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's where the entire kida of like uh, raising capital came to me. Mm. Then I started talking to people, got introduced into the ecosystem, and learned a lot more. But prior, I don't think so. There was like a lot much there. But exists. in hindsight, as I started talking, once I got introduced to the ecosystem. I realized, okay, this is the play. When scaling the business, then I realized, oh, that these companies are needed. It was all done in, in hindsight. It sounds like a well scheme, but it wasn't done like that. But now mm. it 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 fitted in beautifully well. When you start the second time, maybe in a few years from now, once Oplex is well settled inside the Marikri system, probably you will have a lot more of this. I know this. I learned this, and let's just follow the playbook to this point. And now there's room to experiment further. No, I think what so what I've learned today, right, or what I know today, I think will be only valid for the next couple of years, right? Mm. Because everything changes so dramatically in the D2C's ecosystem. Say, right? Things are being run by AI now. There is so much leverage of a lot of these coming. So the knowledge and le- aspects and the key learnings of building clicks uh, will definitely change, right? But I think some fundamentals will stay, like right? being data-centric, okay, understanding what gaps are there. Those, yes. But I think a lot will change in the next three years. And I don't know, let's see. It's a long way to talk for that. Awesome. So we wish you the best for this leg of the journey. You've come to a fair milestone, which most brands don't end up crossing over to. And we do believe you have a room to build a thousand crore business not very far from now. Thank you so much for doing this, Rishab. Great having this conversation. Yeah, this was good. I enjoyed this too. Okay. Thank you so much. Flix is an interesting story and Rishab is a super high energy founder. He was literally bubbling with energy while we were having this conversation. And it's so amazing to see the level of meticulousness that has gotten into his journey with respect to the obsession with Rovas, pretty much from day zero. He wants to keep his Marwadi instinct and his uh, mindset around profitability and Rovas intact from every single channel, every single transaction, which is a great thing to see in a DC founder and gets more credibility now that he's found his uh, exit where he's found it, right? And the way he's built his team in a very, very calibrated fashion with the continuity of obsession with Rovas and with numbers, and in his own words, or probably in the words of his investor, talk math, not English. It's a very interesting way to look at business, and we wish more people are doing that today.